This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. something that happened over the holidays i i saw this and i meant to include it earlier and i I sort of forgot about it but i wanted to bring it back up because i think it happened i think it was like right in the middle of the holiday season that, that this particular thing happened there was a serial killer released did you hear about this whole thing is that the one where there is a picture of him on a plane? That's that's what I was going to talk to you about. He's another one of those odd serial killers. He actually has, the way I came to know him was a book. But then from that, there was a, like, it, it was an old book that I had read. It was from, I, I want to say it was from, like, 1979. There's a more recent, like, BBC series about him. And mm-hmm. it popped up on Netflix at some point during the pandemic, but it's a, a Charles Sabras. He's got a really long, do you know much about him or, or anything about him? Not really. I, I saw the picture that was making its rounds. I guess somebody posted a selfie of themselves <laughs> or somebody else with him on an airplane. And I, I looked briefly, but that's it. His, he's the bikini killer, or the serpent, is is what he was known as, and he killed uh, at least twenty tourists in Southeast Asia. Uh, Fourteen of them were in Thailand. So he's a French serial killer, and he's also a conman, like some of the other people that we're going to kind of talk about through here, and a, a burglar and a thief. He was born. This is what was crazy to me. He was born Hachand Buonani. Gurmukh Sabraj, but he goes by Charles Sabraj. He's of Indian and Vietnamese descent, but he was killing Western tourists. He was definitely a killer for profit kind of guy. I, I'm sure his Wikipedia page is pages long if you if somebody wants to go check that out. I just thought it was interesting that he was released because I think I think he has like 30 or 40 suspected victims. And I, and I know he has like 12 or 14 or 16, something like that, uh, confirmed victims. And his story is pretty interesting. The first time I watched the uh, BBC show, I didn't get all the way through it. It was a little much for me. He, he is definitely not a good dude. Uh, and he's out. <laughs> so he, he had popped up. And like you said, it was a picture of him. He was like sitting on an airplane. And it wasn't. It wasn't a picture like like a selfie. What it was was it was him. He was flying from Kathmandu to France on maybe Christmas Eve. And he's just sitting there and not even smiling for the picture. He's just sitting there uh, looking pretty creepy, flying along. He's 78 years old, uh, and he had been serving a life sentence. But, you know, the way that people talk about him – the, the vast majority of his crimes will never be pinned down exactly, is the thought. 
Um, I just what country was he um, in? I know that he murdered in South Asia, but where was he released from? I guess. I think it was Nepal. Um, okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Something like that, but there was a Canadian tourist in there, and I don't know her name. Um, off the, I don't know his story, but I think that was his last conviction. And I want to say that conviction was in like 2014, maybe. And That's not very long for murder, huh? Well, he got, I think he got a 20 year sentence and he ended up being essentially paroled. Now, I know he had a life imprisonment sentence somewhere. He had accomplices. He had like, it's a sprawling story. Like, it's, it's a very, very interesting story. I don't know how he got away with the like the change in sentence because I, I i thought he had been sentenced to life in india but as i glanced at the internet about him because i didn't i didn't go in depth on him i just saw the picture and i was like wow how is that guy free but that happened like back over the holiday season before we even started recording season four and I don't know that there's any really good podcast out there about him, but that would probably be a, a cool one if someone were to uh, dig into what he is alleged to have done, like go beyond like what we know that he did. He, I remember like the last time I read about him, other than like the, the Netflix stuff that came out, I remember he had, um, I want to say he had open heart surgery in prison. Maybe that's what, got him off of the sentence or something like because of his age. Cause he's, he's, he's definitely 78 or 79 years old. I, I did read that the, the Supreme court of Nepal, when they released him, it came with a deportation order. <laughs> and that was probably on his way out. Huh? Yeah. The, uh, the picture was definitely of him on his way out. Cause it, it wasn't very, it was like, you have seven days to leave the country or we will detain you again. <laughs> I wouldn't want him either. I mean, yeah. And he was on his way to, to France. Yeah. Cause that's where he is. He, he's like from France originally. Like, I think maybe, I don't, I don't know that for sure. I don't know much about him. I just know, uh, reading his story, he was definitely, uh, back when I read it, he was preying on pretty young backpackers and tourists. Uh, there's a couple of Australian stories that always make me think of him, but that's, they're never related to him whenever I think of them. But Right. And he, um, a lot of his crimes were like in the seventies. It seemed like, I think so. I think like, I think everything I read, cause okay. And I don't know this for sure. I think the book I read about him was either written in 1979 or 1980. So it would have been up to that yeah. point of his life, and he was definitely convicted of some stuff by then. I keep talking about this one classified ads guy, and I was going to derail it again today with this serpent guy. You got anything else on the serpent? Uh, no, I was just going to say that um, it was at the, I believe it was like on New Year's that that came out. I can't remember though, but um, he got out because he had served 75% of his sentence. and. Okay. He was well-behaved, and because he has heart disease, which I interpreted whatever I read to be, like, basically heart It's too failure. expensive to keep him? 
Well, no, I mean, I don't know about that. Maybe, but because he had, he had been behaved in prison, he had served 75% of whatever the sentence they're going off of was. Um, and so he was eligible for, for release. And so, um, he was freed and ordered to leave, like you said, and he had to like sort of scramble around to, you know, cause they don't pay for him to leave the country and he's been in prison, right? So people had to help him. And like you said, he's on his way back to, or I don't know if it's his way back, but he's going to France. Well, he weirdly, he had quite a bit of money. Like that was the other thing I remember about him because there was a big deal. Uh, and I don't know when he sold it, but like he, he sold the like rights to his story back in the early 2000s. And it was like a, a big deal where people were like, how is he able to do that? I want to say it was for 15 or $20 million. He sold his story. And he, he was one of those dudes where he kept getting arrested. So like he would do a sentence and like sometime around the late nineties, maybe he got released. And when he got released, uh, he retired to uh, suburban Paris and he was charging journalists to interview him. It became kind of a controversial thing. And finally he just sold his life rights and said, I'm not giving any more interviews or, or photographs or anything. You know, you guys can just, uh, you can like live with whatever, whatever other people put out. And I figured it was too expensive to keep him around. Honestly. I also saw that he, he had escaped from New Delhi's maximum security prison in I didn't know that. 1986, but um, well, he was recaptured. He convinced the guard, according to what is out there, he convinced the prison guards to share a birthday cake that was like laced with drugs that I guess knocked them out and he oh. escaped. But he was like very quickly recaptured. So I don't know, like. I don't know how true it is or like how much media attention it would have been. He, it would have gotten, but he was in new Delhi's in India. Yeah, I actually, so now that you say that, I remember a story that I never followed up on where he got, um, he was in a nightclub or a restaurant or a bar or something in Goa back in the nineties. And he got arrested there. And I was like, I remember what you just said, kind of put some pieces together on something I hadn't, read correctly um but i've been to goa and like goa is like a place that that i like it's a an odd spot so it caught my attention when i read about that but i didn't realize that that was because he escaped that's really interesting that he managed to escape yeah and um so he was sentenced to a life sentence in his latest conviction which he was just released from but in nepal a life sentence is only 20 years interesting yeah, so it's not an actual, you know, because um, in the United States, I, I believe the statistics on that are like a life sentence is about 60 years. That's what is uh, calculated in there. That, you know, that would, uh, you know, that would mean that I guess they're, you know, a 26 year old getting service, uh, getting sentenced to life. Uh, that would be 60 years, right? On average. And so I guess maybe people don't live as long. I don't see why the huge difference between, uh, like, why is it life only 20 years in Nepal? Maybe they, um, I, I don't know. That's weird to me. Because actually we have, 
sentences that are like 25 years with the possibility of, you know, parole after however many, right? Like Yeah, 25 to life, yeah. So to me, like the fact that a life sentence is 20 years and you he only had to serve 75% of it, that's interesting. So he is a freed serial killer. Like, so he's walking around amongst us, but he is in very poor health and he is very old. Did you see that um, picture or did I send it to you? Because I, so when I saw it, the very first thing I wanted to know was, like, well, is he supposed to be on a plane? Like, <laughs> um, and of course we were in, we had just done like all the fugitive things, right? <laughs> and so when I saw it initially, it, it, cause you know, it, it had a very captivating headline, whatever it was. And so it wasn't initially clear why he was on the plane and it was clear that he was in like the commercial you know he he wasn't guarded and he was sitting beside several ladies I believe and I thought did he escape like what is happening here and so then obviously I had to read it which is the point and but that's what I thought and I was just curious if you saw it or if I sent it to you and what your initial thought was I don't know how that went down I think sometimes Sometimes I get things several times and that particular thing, I like somebody else sent it to me and asked me if I knew who it was. And then I think somebody sent me an article on it. And then I think you sent it to me or I sent it to you. And we talked about him briefly. He's one of those people that I remember this story about him where he had talked to a couple of pretty well-known reporters and I think it's in the seventies and he had told them that he made it all up. So the minute he did that, whether he's guilty or not, I I don't even know, but the minute he did that, I stopped paying as much attention to him because that means like we have an unreliable narrator and you're going to have to like go dig. And because it's so many different countries that I felt like were involved with it. And it it is because you just named off. I said, Thailand, you said India. And then we were talking about Nepal and France is in there. I, I figure you sent it to me and was like, what is going on with this guy? Because it would have been when that happened, I might've been at the beach or it would have been right after that. Um, Cause I took a little vacation after I, like the minute I finished uploading all the fugitive episodes, I got out of town (laughs) and, um, I would have probably, if I'd been home, I probably would have been like, well, should we record something about that? Because it tied into that sort of, he has a fugitive period in his life. A couple of fugitive periods. I haven't looked super deep in the case. I probably won't, especially since he's, you know, out and he served his time. But I always question those types of cases where it's like, oh, he had 20 victims during... Uh, 10 years. It's entirely possible that he did. It's also entirely possible that uh, they closed the book on those 20 cases during those 10 years uh, based on him serving time for it and the murderers are walking free. Well, he was one of those people, to me, he is a serial killer, but he was almost like a weird human traffic scammer. The stories I remember from what I read early on about him were 
like he would be giving people money and then sort of they were indebted to him and they would almost become like friends or acquaintances that he then killed. And I always think people like that are like the worst of the worst. They're not quite as bad as like your random serial killers that are killing people like unknown people. But there was this woman who was found drowned uh, in a, like, like one of those little pools that like come up along the, the beach and she was from Seattle and I think she was either his first victim or maybe his first victim that like he got attention to. And in the book I read, she had a pseudonym, but um, her name was Terry Knowlton and it took like a really long time for them to figure out that like, I don't know how to explain this, but it's like it came back and it was just an accident. And then it came back and it was like, this is potentially something more than an accident. And then finally they were like, oh, this is murder by drowning. When cases are like that, I get kind of dubious of them. It's sort of like like Henry and Otis, but not really. But it's just like, okay, this person died, but what was it? Was it really drowning a drowning murder that's weird murder by drowning is like a really strange crime or wasn't an accident and like somebody asked questions and like the squeaky wheel got the grease and and they ran with it right right why do you question that i question it because look he was an attention seeker no i'm i'm not asking you to defend your position i'm asking you to explore why you do it if you have an investigation done and the investigation sort of comes off as pretty simple and pretty thorough. Then overcomplicating it by going back and, and saying, oh, it wasn't an accident. It was something else. More often than not, that is wrong. Like that's the plot of a movie. Well, and it's also kind of counterintuitive to what we expect from investigators. And what I mean by that is that in the event that it could, something that could appear accidental could be it could turn out to be a homicide or something besides accidental, you would do everything you could to make sure that that's not the case before you say it's accidental. Right. I agree with that. And I'll say this about the crimes that we know about him. The things that he has been convicted of, and he spent time in prison because of, they were complicated by the idea that he was basically running around with an accomplice. And I'm being really polite and just calling them an accomplice where they were committing a ton of crimes, like a roving band of criminals. And they would suck people in who would help them commit the crimes for a while. And they only trusted each other. So guess what they did to the people they sucked in? Killed them. Yeah. They just kind of, we're moving on to the next crime. And okay, I'm coming with you. Nope. You're not coming with us. What do you mean? Who does does that sound like to you though? What do you mean? It sounds like a gang. Well, no, it sounds like Otis Tool and Henry Lee Lucas. That's why I mentioned Otis and Henry like earlier. I was saying like, 
We were never going to know what happened because these idiots were, they were already in situations where like when people do stupid shit, they die. Well, I know. And so I haven't looked far enough in to be like, this guy's a complete joke. And I wouldn't want to say that without, I I can say uh, with a whole lot of confidence uh, the fact that anyone would consider Henry Lee Lucas or Otis Toole a serial killer or a murderer in any capacity is a joke. When I hear someone say that, I I just think to myself, well, there's so much more to that story. And, you know, people buy into the narrative, especially people who don't look into crimes, right? I mean, it, right. that's what's out there. So this guy, I immediately think when I see this type of thing, especially the time period we're talking about, it immediately makes me think of that. Well, so he was, okay, here is my problem with the drowning by murder. You asked me about that, and I want to address that for a second. The drowning by murder thing got confusing for me because uh, along the course of his you know, sprawling story, there would then be strangulations. There were people that were burned to death. There were people that were poisoned. There were overdoses. So many drugs were being passed around, which it's, I'm not saying that it's people's fault if they take drugs and someone poisons them. It's like, I don't know. I couldn't tell like what was an overdose, what was a murder. Like, like in the whole, like that's the thing that frustrated me about the series about him is there's no one likable in the whole thing because the people he was killing were around him doing the same crimes he was doing and just ending up dying because of like sort of how things were progressing. But I never, I I'm always dubious when somebody says, okay, and I, and this is not specifically Charles, but any killer like this where, they're stabbing someone, they're shooting someone, they're poisoning someone, they're drowning someone, they're burning someone. Like, okay, I can believe a couple of types of murders going on, but if he's doing like the whole gamut and overdosing people, like you can't have a guy like that doing seven or eight different things. And so it would just be highly unlikely, right? I think it is. And like, I've never looked into him to be like one of those cases I tried to completely debunk, but he is such an attention seeker. Like he spent so much time between basically 1978 and about 2005, he was constantly looking for attention. And the only reason he kind of stopped in 2005 was like, he started like getting into women again, which like he was like trying to have relationships with women. I think he realized like, oh man, I'm getting old. Because if he's 78 now and we go back in time, he's in his 60s. Like, and he hadn't really had partners because he'd been going to prison all this different time, all the different places in time. He started trying to like find women, and that became his new scam and how he got his attention. And like you said, like he scams these guards into taking part in a birthday party or whatever and drugging them. And sneaking out of the prison. Why didn't he kill him? Well, I don't know. And, you know, you say that he was attention-seeking, and I wonder if the attention wasn't seeking him. Could be. Because that's how I would say that. I would say that, or maybe attention found him. Uh, like, 
I, I don't know enough about this to really say that, but like looking at this meek old man sitting, you know, in the airplane seat beside of the picture, <laughs> I mean, beside the woman that I guess somebody's taking a picture of, it just seems like it could be exaggerated and it could be uh, a narrative that was put out there and accepted. And it could also be wrong. <laughs> He's part of true crime news for the end of 2022 and a little bit of 2023. He's free. He's running free. I promise if you run into him, you should not take anything that he gives you. Um, you should get the hell away from him. Uh, I'm hoping that he's old enough now that maybe he's past his serial killing ways. But when you're a poisoner, um, okay, here's the other thing. God, I, like, I don't know even why I derail things like this. Here's the other thing that um, got me. He had people around him that were sort of accomplices when people were being poisoned and overdosing. My personal experience, and this is not uh, this is not all encompassing or absolute. It's just my personal experiences. Most of the times when someone has been poisoned, it's not a guy that did it. And I I'll mean, just leave it. I'll leave it at that. Like you know, and but. You know, the strangulations and stuff that were happening around him and the drowning victims that were happening around him. And some people were just never found again. Um, I'm convinced that some of those people just kept walking. I don't think it's going to be as cut and dried to debunk him as it would be with Otis and Henry. Because Otis and Henry were very minimally even connected to deaths, let alone killers. Because you can look at Henry's life and you can definitely see where he was connected to like his mom dying. And then they were connected to like the niece being neglected and the Kate rich being uh, neglected. But those were not murders. They were not killings. They were, they would go down as a homicide by neglect or by abuse. But like, realistically they're not serial killers. If all they did is leave somebody in a hot car. Does that make sense? Um, So with this guy, he's a little more connected to murder. But he's still not. Or at least more connected to people around him that, you know, were murdered or died under what could be interpreted as murderous circumstances. Yeah, he was. He, but this group of roving criminals that he's with, they were literally doing things that I could totally see people killing them for. They were stealing expensive jewelry, you know. One of the, and I don't know where, I I think it was India or Nepal, like he wanted to stay in that prison because he didn't want to be transferred out and end up being put in a worse prison because he had figured out how to bribe people there. And it was basically living a life of luxury in the prison. Like that's one of the stories told about him is he had, he made everything go easy for himself. That's not really the same guy that's going to strangle and burn a body. Yeah, that's somebody who would have it done. <laughs> exactly. He could, he would figure out how to have somebody else or one of his accomplices do it. So I guess I like should finally get back to uh, this uh, this case I keep promising. Where this next case starts, and I've asked you questions about this along the way, where I'm asking, like, do you think – like John Cooper, do you think he was killing witnesses? Um, even with the serpent, like, was he killing the people around him? And we've talked a little bit about, like, Lonely Hearts Killers and Classified Ads Killers. The next guy we're going to talk about 
is a he's a Florida killer, but he was actually born in West Virginia in 1953. He had a really specific dysfunction going on with him that is fascinating to me. A lot like Henry Lee Lucas, he had a dysfunctional relationship with his mother and he slept in her bed until he was a teenager. And she would have like a rolling, uh, revolving door of short-term boyfriends that she would bring home and he would not be allowed to sleep in her bed and it angered him. He was born in 1953. He got married for the first time in 1974. So he was only 21 years old and he had two children with her and she filed for divorce six years later in 1980. The guy that I'm talking about is named Robert Joseph Long and he's actually the American classified ad rapist. Um, that's what he was known as. And when I say he had something wrong with him, uh, I'm being quite literal. He was born with an extra X chromosome. So this is also known as having uh, the 47, the XXY. And that's a variant of a condition called Kleinfelter syndrome. Had you ever heard of this? I had. Generally speaking, Kleinfelter syndrome is an, it's a genetic condition where the male has an X, uh, a male has an additional copy of the X chromosome. And there's, there's some features that are like known and then some lesser features of this particular disorder. The primary features are they're typically infertile and they have small, poorly functioning testicles. But there are other things that can happen where people don't realize what's happening is Kleinfelter syndrome. So, because those two symptoms are pretty subtle. I think infertility would be um, not so subtle. Like you don't, you don't necessarily know you're infertile until you don't have children. And because this guy had children, you know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, we don't know that they're his children, but he was married and the woman gave birth. Sure. But uh, so there are some obvious symptoms like, you can have weaker muscles. Sometimes people with Kleinfelter syndrome are very tall, but they have very poor motor coordination. They can have less body hair. There can be uh, issues with them having too much breast tissue. And that is what happened with Mr. Robert Long. So Robert Long's condition resulted in excessive estrogen production. And it yielded some female traits in him. Uh, the, the biggest trait was that he had uh, large breasts. So when he was a teenager, he ended up undergoing a breast reduction surgery. He also had multiple head injuries. Now, he's another one that it's been removed. So I don't know if there was something wrong with it or if it was just archived for space. Um, he has a Radford University timeline that I was able to check out. So this particular one is, it's got like 10 names on it from the Department of Psychology at Radford University. I think this is uh, probably from the early 2000s, this timeline I'm reading from. If you want to find it, it's under the classified ad rapist, but you have to go into the web archive and look up the classified ad rapist in quotes and then put Radford beside it. And it'll take you to like an old 
archived version of this where you can read some of it. Here's what they put on for like the first part of Robert Long's story. Uh, the way that they set these up, if you've never seen one, they just have a date on the left side and kind of the age of the person and then the life event they're referencing. And at the top of it, it'll tell you which particular known serial killer they are uh, documenting here. So this is uh, Robert Joseph Long. Uh, as I said before, he was born with a genetic disorder in Canova, West Virginia. His parents were Joe and Luella Long. Um, he was born October 14, 1953. So at the age of two in 1955, his parents divorced. And he ends up moving to Miami, Florida with his mom. And so she was working multiple jobs. And she would leave Robert at home with the, the landlord's family. In 1957, at the age of four, he was pulled under the water by a wave and he almost drowned. Now, Robert Long would later blame his mother for this incident. And he remembered it that she was looking at men instead of watching him like a mother's supposed to. In 1958, he had a couple of entries here. The biggest one was that he fell from a swing and he was knocked unconscious with an injury to the head. And he had a sharp stick that skewered the edge of his eyelid. Uh, the other entry is that his mom would take him back to West Virginia to visit his dad. So he's five years old. His mom is going back to West Virginia from Florida to see his dad. And then his parents begin dating again. Uh, in 1959, he's enrolled in the first grade in Miami, Florida, but he's held back at the end of the year. And when he's six years old, same year, he's thrown from a bicycle into a parked car. And he's actually pretty seriously injured. He loses several teeth. And he is examined and diagnosed as having had a severe concussion. And I don't know like how many people know this, but if you have a severe concussion in 1959, you probably have an honest-to-God bad head injury because that was not a time that they recognized concussions in children all that readily. Uh, in fact, like even today, like we're still looking at it from the perspective of like athletes and how to better understand how concussions can happen. From 1960 into 1961, they put a couple of entries in here that are interesting. Uh, so first, the first entry is he starts over the first grade in Miami. His parents end up remarrying, but for some reason, he and his mother stay in Florida. They don't move home. Um, when they finally do move home at the end of the year, he finishes the first grade in West Virginia uh, after they move back in with his dad. In the spring of 1961, when he was seven years old, he was hit by a car. The, the car bumper did some serious damage to his face, and he was knocked unconscious. He had enough injuries uh, as a seven-year-old, and this is the spring of 1961, that he's hospitalized for several days in West Virginia as a result of this. So in 1961, in the fall, this is later in the year, he darts in front of a car again, and he ends up badly injuring his teeth and he's left with a deformed jaw following the incident, um, which resulted in him having to have what would be the equivalent of some therapy and some treatment back then. Same year, he also fell off of a pony 
and he landed on his head and the back of his neck. Uh, he, he was taken to the pediatrician for this, and he reported that he was dizzy and nauseous for several weeks while uh, after this had happened. In 1962, he ends up in the emergency room after he says that he fell from a fence. And he had an injury on the left side of his head that was bad enough that the emergency room doctor put several stitches in to close uh, a gash on the side of his head. And then when he's 10 years old in 1963, his parents' marriage fails and his mom takes him and they move back to Florida where they move into a very small house with multiple aunts and cousins. And so he's 10 years old at this point and he begins to share a bed with his mom. Now, he also begins the fourth grade at this point and he gets teased by other students because the deformity on his jaw is obvious and his teeth are jacked up from all the different ways he's been hit by cars and fallen. I mean, this kid's been hit by a car three times. I just want to point that out. I'll say that again. I want to hear what you have to say about it. He's been hit by a car three times. I think that um, it's safe to say that he was not being watched properly. Yeah. So also when he's 10 years old, his mom starts working multiple jobs. She's working as a waitress one place and a bartender in another place. And Robert starts to feel like his mom's not paying attention to him. Huh. He also starts to notice. Just then, huh? He also starts to notice that she wears very skimpy clothing to her bartender job. And long becomes verbally abusive towards his mother during this time. And this is reported by other parties. So in 1965, at the age of 12, his mom buys a house that is theirs in um, Hialeah, Florida. So he's 12 years old when she does this in 1965. And Robert starts skipping school. He's still sleeping in the same bed with his mom at this point, but his mom begins bringing home one-night stands. And then when he's 13 years old in 1966, he shoots their dog in the vagina and kills it. Apparently, the story he gave a psychiatrist about this was, and I don't know if this is true or not, I'm just recounting what they've included for our investigation here. He claims that he shot the dog because his mother fed the dog pieces of filet mignon and he was fed a hamburger. So he meets a girl named Cynthia and he starts to spend a lot of time with her. By the way, this is when they're 13, but when he's 21, he's going to marry Cynthia. He starts confiding in her and he shares that he's embarrassed by his mother wearing these skimpy outfits and he's embarrassed that his mother is like literally bringing home different men pretty much every night and some nights multiple men. And he and Cynthia form a bond where they're very protective of each other. When he's 13 to the time he's 14, sometime in there, he starts to sleep in a separate bed from his mom. And it's believed that this might partially be because he's, has started to develop breast tissue, 
that's much larger than other boys his age. And he will end up having surgery to remove this excess tissue that's part of the Kleinfelter syndrome. In 1967, when he's 14, he loses his virginity to Cynthia. And he gets arrested for the very first time in 1968 at the age of 15. He's accused of stealing a car from an older friend, but those charges are later dropped. In 1970, when he's 17 years old, he gets a part-time job as an electrician's assistant with Arc Electric. And he ends up dropping out of the 10th grade, going back into the 10th grade with help from Cynthia, and then dropping out of the 10th grade again once and for all. He also gets arrested for uh, possession of stolen property as a 17-year-old. For some reason, his mom's behavior continuing, he grows apart from her and he starts to get violent with her, pushing her, pinching her, slapping her, shoving her, and hitting her on top of like the way he talks to her being enough that multiple people describe it as him being verbally abusive. In 1971, he turns 18 and he is accused of raping a girl. He's later released when the police determine the victim is lying or that there's a lack of evidence. That depends on whose story you believe. He tells people, Robert Long tells people that she was lying and the police found out she was lying. The police say they were unable to corroborate parts of both of their stories. And the end result was they didn't have a case strong enough to prosecute an 18 year old for raping someone. Shortly after that, he re-enrolls in the 10th grade. Basically he's trying to get his high school diploma, but it's not long before he's expelled from the 10th grade as an 18 year old. In 1972, when he's 19, He earns his GED when he enrolls in the Army, trying to be an electrician's assistant. He ends up going to basic, and then he's stationed at Homestead Air Force Base uh, near Miami. One of the first and most interesting records that's recorded about him is in 1972. He gets seven motor vehicle violations or infractions in a single day. In January of 1974, he and Cynthia, they get married at the chapel at Homestead Air Force Base. So this is pretty run-of-the-mill stuff, but like he's not, like there's something wrong with him. And I think people could tell early on, just from what I've read so far, you can tell something's going on, right? Well, I can, yeah. Um, I I feel like everybody would. Um, You have to keep in mind there, you know, this is all like in a little spreadsheet for us. And sometimes things don't come together that easily spread out over time in someone's memory, right? Right, right. So you don't see it all like together like we're seeing it here. And so uh, it may not have always been so readily apparent. Uh, The most interesting thing that we've talked about so far, as far as um, these recollections, though, he, he has this like, you know, he has an issue with his mother dressing the way she does it when I think you said he was 13 and he starts his relationship with Cynthia. And I found that really interesting because I I don't know what would, I've never thought about like the way my parents dressed in any way at all. I would be interested to know like why he was thinking that. It must've just been like an extreme way she was dressing maybe. But so he's seeing like this sort of right from wrong 
uh, angle because I assume he thought the way she was dressing was wrong, right? Inappropriate or like, I, do you think it's more jealousy or more like it's immoral? <laughs> I don't know. I I can't put myself in that position because I've never, because, you know, if it's immoral, that's, it's, that's interesting because that becomes a whole nother thing like later on. But I, I, because, so I, did you ever think when you're reading over, um, like all the times he was hit by a car and all the times he was falling off of stuff and like suffering what, at least here, look like serious head injuries, right? Do you think that he possibly was trying to commit suicide? I did think that because, so it starts to this point in his life, he's had three incidents with cars. And I'm saying it that way because he runs into essentially a one parked car and hits another parked car on his bicycle when he's very young. Um, I think he's around six years old. And then he has two other incidents where he's like in a year in 1961, he's hit by a car twice. So the first time I don't have a lot of information on it, but the second one, he ran in front of the car. Well, and I couldn't, I, so I'll take what you're saying there and I'll, I'll qualify it with this. He's either trying to hurt himself or he's trying to make his mom pay attention. Well, yeah, and that could be, um, definitely. I guess I was thinking to myself, because, you know, when you're young and you're developing your morals, they come from all kinds of places as far as your environment goes. And so when he was noticing that his mother was dressing inappropriately, and so that would be like a moral thing if that's what it is, right? Uh, It could be jealousy, like he didn't want other people to see her. But then... If it was a morals thing, I'm like, well, he wasn't trying to commit suicide then. But I guess it could be a difference in age. And I actually, like, there's a whole discussion that we're not going to have because it's just not, it's not, it's not, it is relevant, but we're not going to have the discussion that, you know, how old does a child have to be before they have the capacity to actually try to kill themselves, right? Well, he's definitely six and seven when this is happening. That's why I lean more towards young. Yeah, he's trying to get her attention and so right and or if and if it's not that which i think you're probably right um he could just be oblivious i well so my children need to be watched right i mean yeah i agree with you i had looked at when when we started putting him on the list for this year I read an awful lot about what was going on with him and one of the things i was most interested in was the Kleinfelter syndrome part. Um, I was interested in that for a number of reasons where I wanted to know, like, it is genetic, but it's not inherited. There were, like, and it's listed that maternal age is a risk factor. So women over a certain age, like, their risk, I think it quadruples maybe. Like, I think it's women at 40 versus women at 20 are four times more likely to have a child with Kleinfelter syndrome if they have, if they're leaning that direction anyways. And I wanted to know, and and I've read through this, I don't have it uh, nailed yet. I can tell you that the the likely answer is it doesn't affect any of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. But I wanted to know if 
that was what caused him to act a way that he did towards his mother. And I also wonder when somebody has a syndrome that's that serious and that obvious that is documented, like when did he find out about it? Like, when did he know? Like, I know he knew by 14 when he has surgery to get rid of the tissue, he knows something's going on, right? Well, yeah. And that crossed my mind too, because I actually looked up, I was like, when was this discovered? (laughs) Because (laughs) I was like, how does he know that back then? And you said, you know, it is genetic, but it's not inherited. Like, so basically it means you could spontaneously have it without any family history. And the genetic part of it is just where it's recognized in the DNA code. Like every single person that has this syndrome has that extra X chromosome, right? Yeah. Um, That's how it's identified. And it's old enough that um, it was, you know, it was probably, I I can't remember. I believe it was in the forties or fifties that um, Dr. Klein uh, felt yeah, he he. Doctor Kleinfelter uh, discovered the Kleinfelter syndrome, and so I would imagine he had to have known about it. I would guess around puberty. Yeah, I would say the same thing. So you're right; it was discovered in 1942, or it was discovered in work, and it was described in 1942. Uh, Harry Kleinfelter, Fuller Albright, and E. C. Reifenstein were working on it. Um, the the general gist of this is, and this is another thing that would derail stuff if I go too far, so I'm just going to make this comment, and then I'll sort of move on from this. In 1959, Patricia Jacobs and John Anderson Strong further clarified some of the elements of Kleinfelter syndrome. And when they did that, it was in the news quite a bit. So here's my thinking. This guy was born in 1953. They start talking about it in 1959. He has a couple of the symptoms. He becomes one of the, and I think this happens with a lot of different disorders. He becomes someone that like, it is known that he has it because they know to test for it because it's been in the, you know, the recent medical journals. So if you have a halfway decent, you know, pediatrician or generalist and they're paying attention to what's in the journals, they know that it's a thing. So that's how he comes to be known to have it. Isn't but that he like might a personally. crazy coincidence, though? I don't see, like, look, when it comes to this, that's the reason we're talking about serial killers. I, I'm always looking for, like, some reason they became who they became. I don't know how this part plays into that. But over the years, I have read about people who do these crazy violent things, whether they're a one-off or a mass killer or a spree killer or a serial killer in this instance, um, who is right now, as we're talking about him, we're just going to keep calling him the classified ad rapist just for a minute. But it's, it does feel like a series of coincidences are happening that are, that are kind of jacked up. But th- this is a testable syndrome. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, there's a way to test that he has that extra chromosome. Well, I assume so. I actually. I, I know so. Like, I, okay. did the re- I did the work on it. No, no. I, I know that, like, it, it's a. Uh, it's a tangible difference. The thing is, I don't know that they are testing chromosomes then. I, I don't know. I don't think they were. I. That's why I'm asking. So I wondered, like, is he mad because he's different? Like, is something inside of him mad at his mother as that's happening? Is he mad because his parents are divorced? Getting accused of rape at 18 when you later become a rapist 
is a it's like one of those hindsight red flags yeah it is see here's the thing though you say it's a hindsight red flag i say it's a self-fulfilling prophecy what they accused him of being a rapist so he said fuck it i'm gonna be a rapist uh well yeah basically well okay so this is part one of mr robert long and I got, I've got just a couple more items I want to talk to you about today. And then we're going to come back and talk more about him. I just want to get to the point where he crosses that line into becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. And there's a real important event that happens that uh, this, is, this is sort of these couple of things are this is how we're going to end this episode. 1974 is a shit show in Robert Long's life. If we had to go with his history so far, what could I possibly be talking about that could happen to him that would be terrible? You mean that hasn't already happened? Like in no, movie? like what if we were repeating something? What would the, the thing that we repeated at this point in his life that would be terrible? Well, if he kept running out in front of cars. Not exactly, but close. I mean, but so, that would be terrible. Okay, this is where it goes nuts. In February of 1974... He's riding a motorcycle. And by the way, if you have ever been hit by one car or run into one car, I don't know that a motorcycle should be your preferred method of travel. But he is in you know, the Army and he's working on this Air Force base. And I don't know if they mean he's in the Army or he's in the military, by the way. I didn't clarify that because I saw some stuff that made me go, I think that's Air Force. I didn't go much further with uh, this part of it. I will try and clarify that. Uh, If he has military records, I'll try and get them. This is the incident that made me like really interested in Robert Long. He is very seriously injured when his motorcycle collides with a moving car. How that happened, I don't know what to tell you. So he's married in January of 1974 And then in February of 1974, he's 21 years old when this happens. He spends multiple months in the hospital. He has a serious head injury. He has multiple injuries to his shoulders. And he has damage to his leg to the point that doctors can't decide initially if they want to cut it off or not. So they're considering like amputating his leg. But here's the note that made me go, huh? While he's in the hospital, his sex drive increases to the point that it's commented on by multiple people. It's speculated to be a result of him having had this accident. Every time Cynthia comes into the hospital, they're having sex in his hospital room. And the hospital nurses observed that he is masturbating between five and ten times a day. So what did you think about that? That is fucking crazy. Well, you know what I thought about it? Go ahead. I thought about, like, well, where was that record stored? Like, what do you that, mean? Is that somebody's account of it? Like, like how they, they get interviewed, that? Un- they interview the hospital nurses that tended to him during that time. And they, his wife is alive when 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 he becomes noteworthy. So they interview all of these people and it's in his patient's chart. 
Well, and I mean, that's what I, th- I'm just saying that's, it's such an odd detail to bring up, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, so this happens in February. He has sprawling hospital records that go all the way to August. There's like some defined paperwork to go through there. Is it bullshit? Is it something I had this? So it could be like, it could be that like he like is doing something in the room. And every time they ask him what he's doing, he says he's masturbating. It could be that they like some nurse, like just wonders what's wrong with him. And she legitimately like spends a couple days watching to see like what kind of behavior he's got going on to see if there's something else wrong with him or, and this is the thought I had. Maybe it's just been seven years since he's been in the hospital. Cause remember he goes in to have a surgery to remove breast tissue, which while not that serious, it's not a lightweight procedure to have uh, like a, 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 what are they called? Uh, would, that be a, would it be a, like a, gynecostomy or mastectomy or something where they're I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with it. Um, removing not, breast tissue would be like a mastectomy. Yeah. But it would be serious, right? Like in the fifties, yes. you would have to stay there for a couple of days. In the 60s it would be, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I would assume at least overnight, probably more than that. But, um, you know, I assume for a guy, it would be a big deal. Yeah. So, so this is what I wondered. Okay. And, and I'm speculating here as we move forward with what's happening with, uh, with Mr. Robert, what if it was the hospital stay itself and he's hearkening back to a time when he was 13 years old and he is remembering like the times with his mom and going to the hospital. And that's just the onset of puberty. So that's when he sets like imprints on his brain, different memories about like what he likes in the world, what makes him feel warm and fuzzy and good and what turns him on or whatever. And this happening where he's like got this extended hospital stay just triggers something in his mind that takes him back to when he was 13, 14 years old. Cause you know, he was been sleeping with his mom up until that point. He'd been angry at his mom. He was already observing things like his mom having one night stands and her wearing the sexy clothing, which you and I are we're beating that to death here, but we're talking about it from the perspective of like, we're looking for a trigger. What if it's the hospital stay itself? That's the trigger and the nurses in their uniforms and like something about all of that does something to him. I guess. I mean, I guess it's possible. I hadn't really thought about that because to me, that kind of behavior is like highly inappropriate. I, I assume it is to like most people, right? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally inappropriate. But if you're not a serial killer, it's inappropriate. I would say even if you are, it's inappropriate. But either way, do you think that this accident was a suicide attempt? I don't know. I mean, I wondered that because 1974 doesn't go well for him. And I had I had lots of thoughts about Robert Long's 1974 where I wondered, like, maybe him being in the hospital just meant that, like, people could observe him because he couldn't hide. Right, and he could have been like that all the time, right? Right, he might have been that his whole, he might have been masturbating five times a day his whole life. And so it didn't even, basically it was just observed then. So it would actually be that, like, nothing affected it. It's just how he was, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like, nothing changed about him. He was injured, but the only change that occurred is he suddenly lived in a goldfish bowl. 
Sure. And, uh, you know, I don't know anything about any of that. I I can't say that like, oh, that's really abnormal. I I just don't know. And so I think it is possible that he was just a, he, I mean, he is an inappropriate person, (laughs) like applicable to lots of categories, right? Um, Yeah. (laughs) As far as his behavior goes. I want to qualify this by saying like, like at this point in his life, he's, not yet done things that make him any kind of predator, but these could be like really helpful hallmarks. And I wondered, like, I wondered if this, um, I'm sure you've seen Mindhunter, right? Yes. So Mindhunter is based on the, uh, the story of how they put together, uh, the, the origins of sexual homicide book, the study on serial killers, which I'm looking around my room somewhere in close proximity, that book sits. And I wondered if organizing this information didn't partially come from some type of interview with Robert Long, because it looks like he would have been in a position to give this, some of this information to them directly to these students here. And I'm always dubious of that. Cause like, that's when you get the minimized information, but there's a lot of facts in here that have been like double checked and triple checked that I can source on my own. Um, oh really? You think it's the minimized version? Well, I don't, uh, that's interesting. Elements of it are, I mean, come on, dude, he's 13 years old and he, he shoots a dog in the vagina and claims that he shot it because the dog got filet mignon. Well, somebody with knowledge of, I mean, I don't know that that's what happened, but somebody with knowledge of the situation had to have been the one that recounted that, right? I mean, nobody made that up. Well, I assume that it's him shooting the dog. And so it's him and the dog that know, and his mom maybe finds the dog dead and gets a story. So even if, like, we're not getting this from him, although it says he claims that he shot the dog because he resented his mother feeding the dog filet mignon, and I don't know what's going on with his mom at this point. I like by where we're at in our story or by the time the survey is, is being taken. So maybe it's from her, maybe it's from him, but like, can you imagine that? Like she told a whole lot of people about him shooting the dog in the vagina? No, I don't think she did. So that story has got to come from him or her. Well, and honestly, I don't think his mother told it. Cause I don't even think she would have told that story to whomever was gathering these facts. I think it must've come from him. Yeah, so, okay, let's end this episode with 1974 wrap-up. Is that all right with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, so in August of 1974, he's still 21 years old. Um, wait, hold on. When's his birthday? Yeah, so he doesn't turn 22 until October. So he's uh, 21 years old. He's discharged from the Army or, or the military because of – what happened to him in the accident. He spends all this time in the hospital. Uh, the army discharges him and he's eligible for certain benefits. He ends up moving off the air force base and into a trailer with Cynthia. Uh, Cynthia has gotten pregnant because all the sex they're having and she gives birth to their first child. And he, uh, it's a son. So he starts attending Broward Community College. And then 
at, towards the end of 1974, it's like, and that's how it's reported here. It could have been the whole year. We don't know. He begins verbally and physically abusing Cynthia, his wife, and this person that he has known for eight years. And I and I say that I'm not, I'm not like uh, talking down to any type of domestic violence. I'm just saying, in my head, when you are abusing not only a, a spouse or a partner but also a trusted friend of a very long time. I think there's an added fuck you to that. Do you, does that make sense? Well, yeah. So he ends up at the end of 1974 being arrested for battery against a, a woman or assault on a female. And that is Cynthia. So he has all this time on his hands. He's treating his wife terribly. And you guys got to remember, he only got married in January. So this is the first year of their marriage going like this. She's given birth to a child and he is beating the mother of his child and a longtime, you know, protective friend of him. What do you think is the best direction this guy could go to get his shit together? Um, finish school. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, finish school, get into therapy. Instead, he decides he has all this time on his hands, and he still has that same sexual appetite observed in the hospital. So he devises the plan to begin to meet women through classified newspaper ads, and he uses the ads to locate women he can have sex with. And that is where we'll pick up in 1975, Next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. I would ask if you guys like the show, please share the show or you can go on to your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple or Google or uh, one of the more interesting apps, Spotify, Overcast. Uh, we're on all those different things. If you could go on there and leave us a, a rating or a review. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to leave us a five-star review, but like whatever you think of the show, leave an honest review of the show uh, because that will help us to grow our audience in season four. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com and you can still use the code CRIMEXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram at True Crime Excess, or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365-5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at truecrimexs at gmail.com, and you can check out our website at www.truecrimexs.com. We'll see you next time. I can't climb Hold
Chase the winter out of my mind. 